Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Oh, I didn't even know what it was. Feet. I could just see their upside down feet. What kind of ducks are these? Oh, these are the uh, New Zealand scorp, a papanga. And they've just disappeared down again. You can just <laughs> see the little feet. <laughs> that is cool. It's quite a treat seeing them like that. <laughs> anyway, what we were talking about is... <laughs> it's very distracting. <laughs> Think of the bubbles <laughs> Bubbles Stop and bottoms. <laughs> Little bottoms and feet. <laughs> Kia ora, naumai haramai ki te au hurihanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, Kōklak and Canon Tene. This episode is not about birds. But as it turns out, it's very difficult to go to Temara Atane, Zealandia Wildlife Sanctuary, and not get sidetracked by them. Today, we're delving into the freshwater and wetlands of the sanctuary and getting to know some of the residents. So CEO of Zealandia, Dr. Danielle Shanahan and I, are standing beside Roto Kawao, watching some pāpango dive down to the bottom of the lake. And of course, the lake's name is related to birds. So it's named after the, the beautiful uh, cormorants or shags that we have and you can see on this lake now. Um, but actually, uh, the word lake is a bit of a misnomer. We're standing on a dam. That dam was, it's historic now, it was built in the late 1800s and previously this would have been just one big valley with a stream flowing through. So it presents pretty interesting opportunities from a conservation perspective. This dam we're standing on, Dolora Kaurori Dam, was the first town-built waterworks dam in New Zealand and it was completed in 1878. Today it sits within Zealandia's fence domain and it's really pretty. A neo-Gothic valve tower with its red triangle roof juts out into the water. It's surrounded now by beautiful bush with a multitude of textures and shades of green. Big trees halfway down the reservoir host flocks of shags, drawing their wings and calling to each other. From the beginning, it was intended for public recreation. Game fish were released into the reservoir and the governor's boat was stored in the boathouse nearby, whose red roof matches with that of the tower. The upper dam was completed later, in 1908, and above it is the upper reservoir, now referred to as Roto Mahanga. However, both dams sit directly above the Wellington Fault, and this earthquake risk was the reason the Kaurori water supply was decommissioned in the 1990s. When these reservoirs were then enclosed as part of the fenced eco-sanctuary, it left an interesting conservation challenge. So the lake actually has been very... um very poor quality in the past. So around 1900, perch, redfin perch were introduced to this waterway. Unfortunately, with perch in a place like this, they can breed up very, very quickly. They become overabundant, size limited, so they're all quite small first-year juveniles. And we actually ended up with around a, a tonne of fish biomass in there, so around 22,000 perch inhabiting this reservoir. And just to be clear, they're non-native, so they were That's introduced right. to New Zealand as like a fishing 
Exactly. So they're introduced here for a fishery. Um, they were so small that actually they became pretty much not very good for a fishery very, very quickly, around five years after they were put in there. But they also are very predatory, so they eat native fish and they annihilate, that many fish annihilates the invertebrate community as well. That has flow-on effects to water quality, so the problem happens that as you eliminate your invertebrate community, they can't eat the algae, and that algae can then become overabundant. So it's a fairly simplistic description of it, but um, ultimately it leads to, for example, annual algal blooms in systems like this. And so step one was remove the perch? Yes, so a couple of years ago we carried out what we believe is the world's largest eradication of a fish species in the world. So we eradicated perch from this lake. It takes five years before we can declare that as being successful, but so far things are looking good. So we haven't seen any evidence of perch in there since. So, you know, as a result of those perch, we had very few native fish species living in here. Certainly the things that we had in here were long fin eel and short fin eel, tuna, uh, and banded cockapoo, a native fish. But that was about it. So not much else inhabiting. The perch eradication was carried out in 2021, so there are a couple of years off getting the all clear. But unfortunately for Zealandia, it's not even a case of if you clear it, the native species will come. The other major issue that we deal with in places like this is Zealandia is at the headwaters of the Kaiwharafara, and the rest of the catchment is full of urban development. In fact, another key issue is buried landfills down there as well. So places where we've put our rubbish and then we've covered it over. So that creates water quality issues, but also physical barriers like weirs that prevent fish. A lot of our native fish migrate up and down streams and they can't even get up to Zealandia to recolonise this place even as we make it more healthy. The Kaifarafara stream is born at the top of the sanctuary, collects in the upper reservoir, feeds down through a wetland area to the lower reservoir and then winds its way through the western suburbs and down the Nio Gorge, finishing its journey at Wellington Harbour beside the ferry terminal. So yeah, an urban setting, and most of it outside of the eco-sanctuary's realm. But there's a plan. That's part of a big project for us, working with the rest of our community, mana whenua, to restore that system. Really long-term project, it's got a hundred-year vision. So who are you working with for that? Our key partner for that project is Mana Whenua, so Taranaki Whanui Te Upoko Te Ika and also Ngāti Rangatira. And then we also have a huge range of other partners uh, from community groups like the Trilisic Park Group through to Centreport who manage the, the terminal and the, the land down at the estuary. Those types of groups are crucial. Everyone has to come together to get better outcomes. It's a big project. The Kaifarafara would have once been full with native ika, a source of mahinga kai for mana whenua. So where do you even start? Step one for us has been focusing on our own backyard. So for us, Zelandia, Timara, Tane, making sure that the water in the sanctuary is healthy, flourishing, that the species are there and flourishing. As Danielle said, there are currently banded kokopu and tuna inside the sanctuary. There are also freshwater kaura, mussels and sponges. And excitingly, as of last week, there's a brand new addition to Zealandia's freshwater fauna. But I caught up with them before they were set free. We are looking at the toy toy that have been bought from Kuhanga Piripiri, which is a lake around Pinkaro. We're standing in the historic boat shed, now set up with a big aquarium inside, and some super cute inhabitants. 
there in quarantine, getting ready to be released into Arotumahanga, the upper reservoir at Zelandia. And tell me a little bit more about Toy Toy. So Toy Toy, or common bully, actually are found throughout New Zealand, but we don't have them here at Zelandia. We've lost them from the system. They would have been here once. These kind of fish are really important in our ecosystem. These particular guys are one of the most important vehicles for supporting kākahi or freshwater mussels to reproduce. But also in their own right, they're an incredible species, very cryptic. They sit on the bottom of the, the river floor or the, the lake floor and um, uh, do their thing, you know, eating, <laughs> living out their lives. They're pretty cute little <laughs> fish. They're what? Um, Seven centimetres, about? Yeah, that's right, about seven centimetres. So these are about mid-size. They do get a bit bigger than this. Um, so I understand they actually get bigger if they're in river systems than they are, do if they're in lake systems. No one's quite sure why yet, but an interesting difference. And they've got kind of silvery bellies and then grey and brown kind of mottled on the top. That's right, and actually if they're sitting, the ones that are sitting in the on the rocky floor, you effectively often can't see they're that cryptic, so well oh, protected. There's a lot more in there than I thought. <laughs> so how many are in this tank? 160 in this tank. And when you say quarantine, what does that involve? Well, it's really important in New Zealand freshwater systems that we don't introduce plants that can become dominant, so weed species, but also funguses and bacteria that actually could negatively affect the fish and other species that are already living in our system. So they're here to, to let um, everything that was in the last lake move right through their system, um, but also to make sure we're going through a process of replacing this water over time to make sure they become adapted to the water quality or the water type that we have here and the, the characteristics of that water. And you were saying these guys are going to, I mean, live out their lives and form part of the ecosystem, but also they will be an important part in the kākahi life cycle. That's right, so kākahi or New Zealand freshwater mussels, they, they are incredible species. They filter water at an incredible rate so they can really contribute to improving water quality. We've reintroduced those species to Rotu Mahanga already, so to the upper reservoir already. We've done two lots of that, so we've done it twice. Since we reintroduced them, there's been a lot more research done on those species and some new discoveries about what types of species they need to complete their life cycle. It's quite remarkable. They sneeze out glochidia, so little larvae, that then attaches onto the gills and the fins of native fish. But some native fish are better than others. We already have banded cockapoo here. That's our only native fish that we have, apart from the tuna or eels. But the common bully are a preferred species, the common bully or toy toy are a preferred species for that. So yes, yeah, so that's why we need to start really focusing on enhancing the diversity of the fish that we have here so it can restore our entire ecosystem, not just part of it. Kākahi are kind of amazing. On average, they live between 12 to 30 years, but they can get as old as 50 to 60 years. They have a foot that they use to move around, to anchor themselves and to burrow into sediment. They're filter feeders that eat algae, zooplankton and microorganisms. 
In 2018, Alison Balance joined a group including Taranaki Whanoi, Te Upoku or Te Ika Whanau, Wellington Regional Council and Zealandia staff to collect kākahi from Lake Kohanga Piripiri for translocation into Zealandia. This is her speaking to Amber McCune, now Dr McCune, who did her PhD studying the mussels and their translocation into the sanctuary. So how many species of freshwater mussels do we have in, in New Zealand? In New Zealand we have three recently described species and one possibly extinct that I'm aware of. And are they common? Are they rare? They're a lot rarer than they used to be. Um, they used to be pretty much everywhere. You'd find huge beds of mussels in lakes and rivers. So in terms of their threat status, what are they comparable to? Uh, so both of the species that we're dealing with at the moment um, have got a more serious conservation status than little spotted kiwi and uh, North Island kōkako, just for example. And Taranaki Whanui trustee Holden Hohaya was there collecting them too. Well, I understand they're one of the best filtration systems in the world. I think a couple of them can filter a litre of water in less than an hour and no doubt would, would have contributed to the modi of our water, waterways being in balance all the time, you know. Unfortunately, that's not, not the case now. But, you know, hopefully we can re-establish kākahi in our waterways in Wellington to the point where, you know, the, the modi of our waterways does actually improve. The mussels were tagged with tiny microchips and monitored by Amber once they settled into Zealandia. They did okay in their new home, so last year a second translocation of 150 mussels took place. Now, the hope is that they'll have a better chance of wider dispersal in the reservoir with the help of their new toy toy buddies. So there are different stages of restoration happening in the different reservoirs. And in between the upper and lower reservoirs, there's a man-made wetland area that has also been given some attention as part of the freshwater restoration plan. We head in that direction, but we don't get far before Danielle gets distracted by something she spots on a tree close to the entry gate into the sanctuary. Yeah, it's mistletoe. This time, it's not a bird, so I allow it. This is a big part of our climate resilience, is actually when you're restoring a system, you can be missing key parts of the ecosystem, like kākahi fit into that. It's like you've got these, these unique things that won't reintroduce themselves um, but have been lost for a really long time. And you need to be whole systems focused when you're doing restoration. So it's kākahi and toitoi, it's that partnership. It's the same with mistletoe. You know, if you look at these fruits, this is the first fruiting mistletoe that we've had in Zealandia for probably decades and decades and decades. Reintroduced uh, beautiful fruits. So I'm actually going to try and propagate this on our walk. Oh, you've just grabbed one, I so you're gonna, you're gonna chuck it in a bush on yeah, the way. Yeah, I'm going to. I'll, I'll show you as we go. Um, but, but you know, this is about making sure we have all the components of our ecosystem that creates resilience, so the system can respond when it gets external pressures put on it, like a new disease or climate change, changing climate. So this kind of work is really crucial to to really getting this place humming, to getting it healthy, getting it able to to manage itself, really. This native mistletoe was introduced to the sanctuary in 2018, but it does take those five or six years before they mature to produce berries and seeds. This is the joy of walking around Tamara Atane with Danielle. She's been CEO for the last year, but for the six years before that, she was involved in Zealandia's restoration on the ground. So when faced with the first fruiting mistletoe in decades, she knows what's up. She's grabbed one of the bright orange berries and she's massaging it in her hand. They are really, really interesting. If you take that seed and you need to rub it and basically rub it on your palm, 
for a couple of minutes and it creates like an epoxy resin around the outside. And it, so as you do so, this probably would have happened in the gut of a gecko or in the gut of a bird. But we have lost a lot of our geckos from New Zealand bushes. You know, they're really impacted by rats, mice, other things. So this is something that, especially as we're in the early stages of introducing mistletoe, that we're doing ourselves. So that one's, hand. that one's getting very sticky. And so you can start to see that when it's ready, be another minute or so, we'll be able to stick that onto the bottom of a branch where it can collect all the, the water as it runs off the branch and over the first year it starts to put up a tiny little leaf like a millimetre and then it starts to put these quite considerable root systems down and you can see that root system on this mistletoe here check that out oh wow yeah it's just trailing along the underside of the branch and uh, you know attached it's like tapped into the tree now right exactly exactly and so that particular plant it's photosynthesizing so it's doing its thing with the sun but it's also getting resources out of its host so really um, amazing so that one is about ready for me to and I'm actually going to pop it, pop it onto another big branch of the same tree actually just around the corner perhaps we can do that around there we stroll just a bit further down the path find the same species of tree and she sticks the seed onto the underside of a branch. See it sticks on and that over the next day will harden and then hopefully it will grow into its own little mistletoe guy. That is cool. <laughs> Pretty cool eh? Yeah so it comes with its own glue. That's right. And it's, it, when it hardens it'll just be stuck in there. Stuck in there. Mistletoe propagated, we head off along the path, passing guides and visitors, down some steps and across a floating pontoon at the top of Rotokawo. But the birds are determined to distract. In this time, it's me falling for it. Oh, so we're very close to some of the shags now. They're so beautiful. <laughs> they are beautiful and um, you can basically, they nest almost all year round. So most times of the year you can see a nest, you can see chicks. They predominantly forage out at the ocean and then come back here to roost at night. But I should not get distracted about birds today. It's not about birds. So where <laughs> are we now, Danielle? Uh, we're just heading over the lake at the moment or over the reservoir um, towards our wetland area, which is a human-made. It's a human-made system, but it's a huge opportunity for us to really do some great conservation. We've lost most of our wetlands in New Zealand. We've less than 10% remaining. Wellington's been very, very hard hit in this regard. So we can do some cool conservation here. Um, it's also, you know, wetlands really are sort of lungs of our systems. They filter pollutants out of the water. They improve water quality. So it's a key objective here is to do conservation and to, to really get that ecosystem humming and healthy. And I'm aware that there's a lot of different kinds of wetlands and I know you say this one is man-made but what kind of wetland is this? Uh, this is a swampy wetland um, so it's got quite deep mud at the bottom of it but a really great diversity of plants and we're walking up uh, right now just past a couple of our resident takahe Neo and Orbel as well and they love our wetland area. Pretty neat just to have a takahe on the path. Yeah not bad eh? Hello. 
What's going on, buddy? <laughs> he didn't seem to want to move for us. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty used to people. <laughs> We're just looking at now at our wetlands. We've put a real concerted focus into this in the last few years. Wetlands are really vulnerable to weeds. This had, it was covered in blackberry, um, had a lot of different species that were really, I guess, drowning out those other native species that we're trying to promote. So we've had a concerted effort to both reduce those wet, that weedy cover and then um, plant as well. So step one with the wetlands was get rid of the weeds and right. then step two is is it a focus on the plants first a focus on the plants so there are a number of fauna species as well so animals in new zealand that rely on wetlands but you've got to have decent habitat before you start um, actively bringing them in in fact our primary strategy for some of the birds for example that rely on wetlands is to create the habitat and we believe they'll come if the habitat is right we have enough places nearby like Pātahanui that um, can be sources for birds to you know that might be moving by um, to recolonize this area examples of that might be like the spotless crake for example which I'd love that would be my highlight if I saw a spotless crake or even a bittern in this area and I believe that with part of the freshwater restoration work, you've also been working closely with Mana Whenua and in particular Arararangan group. That's right, yes. So, I mean, wetlands are important sources of uh, materials for weaving. For example, um, Ropo, which is one of the species we have here, but also Kuta, which is a species that's come into the sanctuary now. Um, so it's really important for us, and this is part of our... Um, aspiration of becoming exceptional Te Tiriti or Waitangi partners is making sure we are working very closely aligned with Lana Whenua to ensure their um, priorities are reflected in the work we do here. And so is the hope that at some stage in the future, I know it has happened already, but that for things like the kuta that's been recently translocated into the park, that some stage in the future they'll be able to harvest and use that in their weaving. Yeah, so kia kia is a species that is already in the sanctuary and that we've had our first ever harvest of in the sanctuary of that particular species and that was for weaving tukutuku panels in Mangateira, which is the Māori Select Committee room at Parliament. So that was one off at that stage, but what we're working on now is a holistic mana whenua-led uh, approach to develop a cultural harvest approach for Zealandia, Timaraatane. So that is that will reflect their aspirations and desires for this place as well. Before we head back down towards the visitor centre, Danielle wants to show me one last thing: the fish passage between the wetland and the lower reservoir. Um, this fish area. It's funny, it used to be used to be hidden away. Um, you know, it's not pretty to look at, but I think really highlighting these types of things that we can do, they may not be pretty, they may not be the most beautiful thing to look at, but they are the crux of how we can learn to better live with nature in our urban landscapes. So, yeah, so while it's not the most beautiful structure to look at, it's um, it's a remarkable opportunity to improve things. So it kind of looks like, I don't know, like train tracks or something. Yeah, yeah, like reverse train tracks. If you imagine that those the sleepers of a train track were pressed into concrete, 
and that's effectively and so this fast moving water over concrete sleepers and then little rectangle pools in between that's right so those rectangle pools both slow the water down and then when it's drier they provide little pools that that um, provide that sort of stepping stone because we're talking about here is the little um, fish as part of their life cycle going upstream so they can hop from pool to pool. Mm. And some of our native fish have amazing little structures on their fins. They can actually almost suction on across short distances. So their little fins can <laughs> suction between you know, these sorts of pools and get them from A to B. So they're very, very clever, well adapted. We just need to work with those adaptations and, and let them use them. Do toy toy migrate? They can do. They can also be landlocked, which is why they're appropriate to introduce here. So our, our system is somewhat landlocked because of all these issues further downstream as well, not just what's in Zealandia. Um, so it's important for us as a first stepping stone while we're working on that 100-year project of restoration for the Kaiwharafara to reintroduce things here, here that will survive without migrating. Back on the lower reservoir dam, looking across the modified urban landscape, I start to really understand the scale of the project. Not just dealing with water quality, but also infrastructure that will help native fish navigate the migrations they need to do to complete their life cycles. So once Zealandia's freshwater house is in order, what will be the next stage for the 100-year Sanctuary to Sea project? Beyond the fence, we've got top priorities like dealing with those buried landfills and trying to figure out how we can remove or prevent leachate from going into those systems and as development happens or as proposals happen making sure that we are part of the conversation to advocate for that environmental outcome that we need to see. But a key part of it also is enabling individuals and businesses to do their part in the place where they live, where they work, where they play. And a hundred years is a long time. I mean... Goes quickly though. <laughs> Um, for the sanctuary itself, we have a 500-year vision of restoration, and that reflects the time it takes for some of our big podocarp species to grow. We think we can be a bit more ambitious with our, you know, um, it does sound like a long time, but actually it does take a lot of time for the technologies to evolve, to create the solutions. It takes a lot of time for the system to rebound when you take an action, when you plant a tree, when you eradicate perch. You know, the, these things take time. So I think that's actually crucial. We need to look beyond political cycles. We need to look beyond any one life cycle. We're not just doing this for ourselves. We're doing this for our children, our tamariki, for future generations um, to show that we care and to keep these species in our lives. Na mihinui kia Dr. Danielle Shanahan no te mare atane. Thanks to Danielle and to Jeannie Latham for providing some beautiful toy toy photos, which you can find on our website rnz.co.nz slash our changing world. Ko Clerken Kananaho te kaihotu o tene hotaka i afina maya Les Garten rawa ko Ellen Rikers. I produced this one with help from Liz and Ellen. Sound engineering was by Steve Burge. Ko te mokin te tumu kaihotu o nga kōnei iparangi me nga hōtaka ki te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tim Wokin is executive producer of podcasts and series. 
kia faia i te aukurihanga i tētahi taupanga paiake kia koe. Follow Our Changing World on your favourite podcast app. Te koe i whakarongo mai. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Kia pai tō wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.